questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. The nature of humanity is to be curious. We have an innate desire to find new knowledge, hidden or not, new abilities and new lands. We have discussed the topic of Flat Earth and the worlds beyond the ice walls on this program. And because many of you continue to ask me for more, at Veritas, we don't censor. We get out of the way and let the information flow. It is up to you what you want to do with this information. We have been and continue to be so programmed to only listen to official channels that even the so-called open-minded have a hard time stepping outside the box when they become exposed to information that contradicts their beliefs. But since I know belief is the enemy of knowledge, I want to explore and consider all perspectives. I've noticed some of my colleagues shut down and ridicule what we'll be discussing tonight. Don't you wonder why they never get censored? And those of us who dare are the ones being silenced, shadow banned, and are given the perception to be on the outer limits of conventional wisdom? In case you wonder what the promotional image depicts, I've included a high-resolution version of the alleged Worlds Beyond the Ice Walls, so you can zoom in and see it all in detail. It's inside part two of this program in the member section at VeritasRadio.com. If you want to take the road less traveled, to free yourself from the conformity of others, stay with us. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at VeritasRadio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, and more. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, Rebounders, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Tonight's special guests are veterans of this radio program and don't require a long introduction. They are David Weiss and Jaron Campanella. David's website is flatearthdave.com and Jaron's is jaronism.com. They also have YouTube channels. David and Jaron, welcome back to Veritas. How are you? Mel, thanks for having me back. Thrilled to be here. One of my favorite podcasts of all time. So thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Happy to be here, Mel. Uh, anytime you want me, I'm here. And fantastic program. Happy to be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's been two years. May of 2020, we're in the middle of the pandemic or pandemic. And I'm very curious, what has happened with the two of you? Like me, I think you are, you have an insatiable hunger for knowledge and new wisdom. What have you found in the past two years? And we'll didn't dive in. That's such a big question. The one I have found on this journey is there is never a split second of boredom, right? When you start seeing this world for what it is and understanding what it isn't, there's not enough time in the day if they gave us uh, to to see and research and um, explore this amazing, amazing world we're in. So that's the 
for me, that's the kind of the broad picture. And then um, today we're going to kind of dive into, you know, what what's beyond Antarctica and, you know, our thoughts on that. Jaron? It's been an interesting two years for sure. I mean, I've kind of realized that people will fall for anything, which maybe I didn't know fully before. And people will make excuses for their slave owners. Another thing that I don't think I knew fully before, I kind of thought that it would always be citizens against governments and never really expected that, you know, over half of the citizen population would actually side with the government. That's just something, I mean, imagine, Mel, the amount of evidence it would take for me, Arma, and the American government. By the way, you got you got cut off all there for about five seconds, Darren. Against other. So I was saying, imagine how hard it would be evidence that it would take to side with the American government. I have just ample evidence that what I was doing is correct and that the citizens were wrong. So it baffled me that, uh, you know, this go around when you have a untested, unproven vaccine, that people simply said, no, I don't really want to take it. Um, they were attacked and ridiculed and canceled. And, uh, you know, so we have citizens taking the side of big pharma as if there's some, um, you know, big philanthropic group or something, not uh, obviously a for-profit uh, medical industry, which we know. They make money the more and longer that you're sick, not the better and healthier that you are. So I learned that the last two years and that people will turn even on their own, uh, on the on the fellow slaves uh, to protect those that you know are enslaving them all. So that was kind of an eye for me. Those are the new things that I've uh, learned. Like Dave said, never a moment's rest. You'll never be bored. Uh, you never wake up and just say, well, what am I going to do today? It's just not even in the cards anymore. There's so much to learn, so much to investigate and report on. Uh, it's definitely kept us busy. I, I think that the, the biggest killers of the human spirit are boredom and fear. And when you start discovering what this world is and who we are, where we are, and our place in it, uh, the fear goes away. You know, you stop watching the news, which is steering us northeast, west, south is the news and fear, false evidence appearing real. Once you lose that fear and start seeing uh, this world for what it is, there's never a moment of boredom. So boredom and fear, the mind killers are removed. Uh, and then once you kind of step out of that low vibration that's when you start seeing the world, experiencing things, manifesting, meeting people. Um, all of it just starts to flow. And I think that's where the controllers of this world don't want us being. Right. Another thing I learned was, I don't think I realized this so much before as then as now, is I used to wake up and, you know, I told everybody for years, don't watch the news, don't watch the news. Well, when this corona thing was going on, I would have to wake up and I would want to watch 15 or 20 minutes of the morning news just so I could see what's the latest stupid propaganda that they're putting out there. Well, I really quickly learned that most people who talk to you or argue their side of a, of a point just repeat exactly what the news says. And I get why that is now. I get that people have jobs, people have careers, and so they don't have a lot of time for knowing what's going on in the world. So really their entire worldview is built off of the 30-minute section of NBC News that they watch either every morning or every night. And I just noticed this in talking to people, even in my family or my sister, that would literally repeat word for word exactly what the news said the day before. And it was just baffling to me that it was so easy to convince people of things that weren't true simply by putting it on the news and have everybody on the news talk about it and how you know full the hospitals were. And I went down to my local hospital and found out that they closed three of the floors 
and there was just never anybody there. And it was just very easy for somebody who has the time or the want to go and investigate these things to see the lies. But I realized um, the last two years that so many people are busy with everything. You know, it used to be I grew up in the 80s where my dad was able to support the entire family with just, I mean, he was an electrician and uh, was able to, you know, have a one income family. My mom stayed home with the children. But quickly, I think by the 90s or easily by the 2000s, they made it so that, you know, no single income was really taking care of the family. So they get everybody out of the house. All the kids have soccer and band practice and you name it. And they really made it so that nobody has time anymore to do any investigating or research, which is essential to them getting away with this kind of uh, nonsense. That is so true. And today I found out that it was an Italian teacher in the 1800s. I believe, I forget the exact year, but he was the one who created the concept of homework as punishment for children. Punishment. Just think about that for a second. When you, have, when you go to school from, I don't know, when I went to school, it was from 7.30 to 1.30. Now kids come out of school at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and then they have homework on the weekends, even summer vacations, they have to have homework. So it's almost as they want to keep everyone busy, busy with the narrative, busy with the official knowledge, busy, if you want to call it, with the globe from the kindergarten or first grade when you go to school, that's all you see. And they never want you to step outside and find something else. The, the script has been written from the moment that you start, you know, turning on the TV to watch Sesame Street to the moment that you're ready to kick the bucket when you're in your 80s. That weeds, now, out, the, that weeds out the order followers, though, you know, if, if you think about it or not, it kind of, you know, elevates them and weeds out the rest. Uh, homework and things like that, that's just busy work and really nonsense. What it does is it really helps them be able to select from a group of 30 students or whatever, the ones that are willing to do anything. And that means put all their friends aside, put their sports aside, put anything aside to get this schoolwork done because the teacher asked for it and they want to make sure that they shine in the teacher's eyes. But these are the people that end up going on to work for NASA. These are the people who end up going on to work for these space agencies or CERN, if you watch that a joke of a countdown yesterday or whenever that was. Um, you notice that these guys are just uh, the order followers, those that will do anything they're told to do. It's very compartmentalized, and this is how they keep the lie going. Mel, the, the lie is so big that most people can't see it. Even many you know, truth seekers that are awake to many things just can't see the, the, the idea of a non-ball, non-heliocentric world. And as you said, you know, in, in kindergarten, they got globes in the class and all the stories are about dinosaurs and globes. And uh, one of the first worksheets kids bring home is you know, the orbits of the planets and the sun and the moon and the moon goes around the earth and the earth goes around the sun. And, and it's literally building their foundation on this to the point where when they grow up, um, that's their world belief. And in everything they see, they say they their mind sees a globe. When you stand at the edge of the water, they look out. Let's say you have open water all around you. Uh, you look out, you'll see a curved horizon because you see the same distance in all directions. Well, if you connect those lines where the sky meets the earth, the optical horizon, it makes a circle in your mind tells you that's a sphere. So when a when a, an encounter happens, something out of this world, like you had uh, Thomas Carrion, who, who uh, talked, to, he was a witness to Roswell. Um, I believe he's telling the truth. I believe he's probably 100% correct. His, you know, my sense of his story um, seems like it's real, 
but he's wrapping it around a heliocentric belief where we're going to get into it, where the idea of other worlds in space is scientifically impossible. And we're going to show you that today. And the idea of worlds just here across the Earth plane beyond Antarctica is physically, scientifically possible. Darren? I agree. Uh, but by the way, by the way, be, yeah. before before I, I forget, I mentioned this to you offline before I forget, since Jared mentioned NASA, I just want to say this now because I'm going to include something during part two. I can't say it during part one because I never know who's going to be listening to this. But I met a gentleman a few months ago, and this is the second time I've met him. Yesterday we spent uh, uh, time during 4th of July with, uh, you know, my family circle, and he happens to work for the the GAO, the U.S. government Accountability Office, which is a legislative branch government agency that provides auditing, evaluation, and investigative services for the U.S. Congress. It is the supreme audit institution of the federal government of the United States. But why do I bring this up? Because he also worked for NASA for four years, and he told me a few things that I want to disclose with all of you here, but during part two. But anyway, keep going. Let me let me go on. So you had Thomas carry on witness to Roswell. You had John Stevenson, who talks about the tall white aliens. Um, another could be very truthful. I don't believe he is lying. I believe he is telling the truth. Dave Edmonds with, with what do they want? And then you had Lieutenant Colonel Kevin Randall with the 1957 Leveland UFO encounter. Again, all of these make perfect scientific sense are physically possible here on a flat earth if you understand what flat earth is and they are impossible in a heliocentric universe. And I want to say at the beginning, the heliocentric system is the matrix, just like the movie. It's a prison for your mind. It puts you on a globe where you have limited resources. There's nothing else to ex discover. And we're here trapped in this, you know, trapped on a globe. I don't believe that we're trapped. I believe that this world is much bigger than they're telling us and that there's more. So for those of you that love space, I'm just going to convert it to something that you don't have to take a giant leap of faith into impossible Narnia, Narnia land. Um, I'm going to show you how it works here. The, the, the secret propulsion program is here on Earth. The tall white aliens are here on Earth. They're coming from their world here on Earth. And once you see that, then you have to ask yourself, okay, which one makes more sense? Now, do we have have um, proof that there's more worlds, there's more land beyond Antarctica? Absolutely not, right? We do not. But there's many stories, as we talked about in the last one with um, with the um, the the Iron Republic, and uh, you know, and stories about it. But we are saying here is we want the right to go explore. Why can't people go explore Antarctica? Well, that's the question. That's the question. When you have so many, yeah. so many signatories since the 1950s, which coincided with the advent of NASA, and all of a sudden you can't go. And I've always said this, and I repeat it again and again, but I don't get tired of saying it. When you have all uh, right now, we have this energy crisis right now. You would think that the excellence of the world and all these BPs will be looking elsewhere for oil exploration to step outside the, the boundaries of what's happening here in the United States, for example, where, you know, we, we are in this crisis because they want to push the green agenda. I mean, what happens when somebody lives in Florida and there's a hurricane approaching, you lose electricity, how are those people that are going to have thousands of EVs going to be able to escape the, the, the hurricane? 
And we can talk about this all the time, but going back to Antarctica, why is it that you cannot go, forget about commercializing it, but to explore it? I wonder, I wonder if, the, uh, am I saying this right, dirigibles, the, the, the blimps that were, that were around since yep. the 1800s, I wonder if the reason why they were shut down was not because of, he, of helium or the flammable aspect, because they were not. And that was a different issue. They had a, they had a boycott on, on Germany, and we can discuss that at another time. But I wonder if that could have been used to explore these other worlds. NASA controls most of the helium in the world. They're the largest consumer of helium, and uh, you know we can get into that. But they they own almost all of the major helium companies. So there's always just a little shortage, enough for party balloons, but not enough for dirigibles. So let let's um can we let's talk about just how space is scientifically impossible, and then then we'll look at the flutter. Does that that sound good? Sounds good. All right. So. Jaron, and you can, you can chime in, please. Um, you know, the closest star is about 25 trillion miles away, four and a half light years. All of the other stars are magnitudes farther. So we're just going to look at the best case scenario. Let's say there's a planet around the closest star, 25 trillion miles away. Now, people have been hearing the word trillion. You know, we're 30 trillion, 50 trillion in debt, whatever. Um, they don't have a concept of what a trillion is. Mel, you might you might know the answer to this, but do you know how long one trillion seconds is? One trillion seconds? No, refresh my memory. Take take a guess. Take a guess. Stab what? in the dark. One trillion seconds. Don't do, don't break out the calculator. <laughs> my calculator doesn't have enough zeros. So go ahead, tell me. One trillion seconds is 31,000 years. Okay. Let that sink in 31,000 years. So if you were traveling at a mile per second, which no human has ever gone that fast and you went for one trillion seconds, 31,000 years, you are now one twenty fifth of the way to the closest star. Okay. Do you think that there a spaceship is going to fly through the vacuum of space, come here and crash in Roswell? Does that make any sense to you? Let alone the idea of a spaceship. What is a, what, what does a spaceship push off of, right? When you you know a boat propeller pushes off of water, you know airplane jets push off of the air. What do rockets push off of in space? And we've, we, we have experiments where we've done, you know, we've lit little rocket fuel engine and that little rocket, um, you know, little, little like firecrackers, I'll call them rockets, and they don't light in a vacuum chamber. You can't light them. So, you know, the question is, how do you steer in space? And so all of that, when you think about it, it doesn't make any sense, but what if the closest world was just I don't no, know, hold, hold, hold for a second. Say- because I remember Andrew Johnson, Andrew Johnson, our guest of this program, he he was mad at me when I did a lot of guests are mad at me because I discussed this subject. I don't care. I, I will discuss whatever I want here. But I remember he did say something valid. He said when you have a rocket in space, there's matter displacement. It's not like you're pushing against, you know, water or oxygen or what have you, but it's just within the, the 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 actual fuel is pushing the mass out but the question is how do you light that mass in a vacuum that part he did not yeah. answer and how do you have a pressurized capsule in a vacuum go ahead jaron 
No, I was just going to say, I mean, they have excuses for it because, of course, they have to, right? You can't just uh, throw up their hands and be like, ah, you got us. We've been we've been had. But, you know, they've done experiments like putting a fan inside of a vacuum chamber, hanging a tiny little feather right in front of the fan and turning on that fan. And it does nothing. Yeah. The fan spins up. It's running as fast as can be. And the, the, the feather doesn't move a hair. Or a so, drone, or a me, drone. I've seen a drone in a vacuum, and it does not take off. Yeah, it can't. Except on Mars. On Mars, the, the <laughs> atmosphere is 1% of what we have on Earth. Um, they could fly a drone there in temperatures that go to, like, hundreds of degrees below zero. So they got a battery that now can defy frozen temperatures and propellers that can – that they their, their, excuse, their excuse is that those propellers – spin super fast that's how they can do it like well if that's the case how come they can't get a super fast spinning helicopter to go rescue people on mount everest they can't even get to the top of mount everest where the atmosphere is magnitudes thicker than it is allegedly on mars dave come on what are you saying of course that we know that they can get to mars and they can drop car-sized rovers out of the craft and then it falls down and slows down with a parachute at one percent atmosphere, so right? One percent atmosphere, where we can't get parachutes when when um when the when the red bull jump red bull jump happened, his parachute wouldn't open until what was it, like fifty thousand feet, where the air was thicker, somewhere around there. Yeah, I think Dwayne Kellum's. I've seen his not open well past eighty thousand. So yeah, it might be sixty thousand. They start to get enough air to open. Yeah, and, and the other thing is. Mel, if you look at, you know, space travel, since we'll, we'll kind of pivot off to that, you got all of these spacewalks. You have the live 24-7, you know, NASA space shuttle um, feed where they're always showing these spacewalks where they're really doing nothing. But look at their outfits. They're in a pressurized suit with zero pressure around them. You know what happens to a water bottle when you just go up to altitude on an airplane and the pressure in the airplane changes just a tiny bit. The bo the bottle will fill up. You open it and the air will you know pop out. Or, or if you have it closed at altitude when you land, the bottle crushes a little bit. Yeah. So they're in the in space. How come they don't have they don't test it here on Earth? They have NASA has a you know as close to as you can get to vacuum chamber. They've never put an astronaut in there in a spacesuit. Not once. Well, once they did, and the guy passed out. Before they even got all the air out of there, yeah. And he said the, 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 his tongue started to boil. Right, that's the only time they did it. Yeah, and he passed out, and they never did it again. But people, people forego their God-given senses, their logic. You know, they, the, in those little, I call them snowboarding suits that they wear, they should blow up like the State Puff Marshmallow Man and explode. We've all seen the train car where they suck the air out of it and then the, the metal train car collapses in on itself. Well, the opposite is true. Take the air off the outside, it's going to explode. But not a, not on the space station. Space station, they got the aluminum can up there. People are running around. You know, and think about this. They're they're doing all sorts of shenanigans in there. They're running around pushing off of walls. There was one time where, you know, they even had a, a astronaut had a gorilla suit and like scared another astronaut. And they're running and pushing off of the walls. Now, this thing is free falling around the earth. When you push off the wall, well, that energy has to go somewhere. Isn't that gonna push it the space station, make it start tumbling out of orbit? Think of the lunar orbiter. Um, those guys moving around in there, what's going to stop that from tumbling around? If, if you're on a boat floating in a lake for perfectly calm and you walk across the boat, the boat's going to move. And then when you stop, the boat's going to move in that direction. You're gonna, you, your energy is going to be transferred to it. None of that happens in space. 
And just to go back to what Dave said, I think an easy, easy way to look at that too, as far as the trillion seconds and things is, I know he said uh, one, one mile per second, but let's just take a number we can kind of fathom, which is 100,000 miles per hour. And when I mean kind of fathom, I mean, okay, yeah, we've heard that uh, how fast bullets go, which is about 1,500 miles per hour. And we've heard the ISS supposedly goes 17,000 miles per hour, which would be about 12 times the speed of a, of a bullet. And then you get into 100,000 miles per hour, and now we're just kind of crazy. That's you know about 100 times or 75 times the speed of a bullet. So let's say we're going 100,000 miles per hour. That It's going to take us with just travel. So there's no sleeping. There's no stopping. There's no nothing. To get to the nearest star would be 28,000 years. That's just to get there, 28,000 years. So to me, it's ridiculous that we even discuss anything space-wise outside of what you might want to call the solar system. That's even if I believed in it as it's presented, which I don't. But even if I did, everything else is ridiculous to talk about or ridiculous to convince people that you know what gas is on these suns, that you know what gas is on these planets, that you know what they're made of. When we're talking about a distance that would take us traveling 100,000 miles per hour, faster than anybody can even imagine, 28,000 years to get to, and we've just been so brainwashed that these scientists are so so smart, so uh, intelligent, that we let them get away with saying nonsense, just complete and total uh, bullshit, really. You know, I, I told Dave before, I said, I'll go to the end of my block and I'll, op- I'll put a certain gas in a garbage can and then I'll open it. And I'm like, if somebody's at the other end of the block, which is, you know, say 300 yards away or whatever, it, you're telling me that, that that person wouldn't be able to determine which kind of gas is in my garbage can, let alone if I was 25 trillion miles away. <laughs> and he certainly is not going to be able to figure out what's in there. But we've just been convinced that these people know what they're doing. I see so, so many people. Look at, I, hold on. I, I ahead, see Zemma. so many people get excited when NASA all of a sudden says, oh, we found this planet that's very equivalent to to earth and it's in the goldilocks zone of their galaxy and blah 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 and it's so many trillions of miles away and some people get excited about it and i'm thinking what's the practical application of even if that were true but have you seen the photograph of air force one during jfk's administration showing the flat earth oh absolutely it was on the wall yeah 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 exactly and i also saw a video i wish i had saved the link but i believe it was an air force a pilot training, this is military, where the instructor was telling the student pilots to forget about the globe, that everything he was going to teach them was from a flat plane perspective, weapons, navigation, etc. Have you seen that too? Yep. And there's there's many documents that talk about, you know, all of their modeling for, you know, the Air Force, NASA, the FAA is on over a flat, non-rotating plane. There's tons of documents out there with, you know, a flat, non-rotating plane. Um, and the globe, you know, fanboys uh, excuse for that is, well, it's because the earth is so big and the area where they're testing it, you know, you would treat it that way because you're moving with it. But that's just a silly excuse. Um, th- let's just go back to space for a minute, because I want to completely make space absolutely scientifically proven impossible. And therefore, we don't have to talk about it anymore because there's really, you know, all of the these stories that come from space are pointless if space doesn't exist. So let's just talk about perspective and size. They tell us the sun is gigantic. How big? How much bigger than the Earth is it, Jaron? The sun? Uh, a million times. A million times bigger. So, you know, if uh, if the Earth was a giant, you know, one of those yoga balls 
the, the, I mean, if the sun was on one of those yoga balls, the earth would be a small BB next to it, a tiny little dot. And everybody, that's what we were learned because we were shown that meme in our Rockefeller funded textbook. Uh, so imagine if the sun, just for demonstration purposes, was just a mile over your head and it was noon. It was directly right over your head. If you looked up, it's going to fill your entire sky horizon to horizon. Everybody can agree with that. And then we move it. 93 million miles away where they tell us the sun is. And just by moving it, it reduces in size to the size of a coin held at arm's length, just like we see the sun. Again, this is just simple. They didn't teach us to think like this in school, but this is simple. Anything I tell you today is going to be very simple, but they didn't teach you this in school. So now it's the size of a coin held at arm's length. Mel, if we doubled the distance, do you know how much smaller it would get? It would get? How small? It went... It went from the entire sky to the size of a coin held at arm's length. If we double the distance, in my opinion, it's so small you can't see it. But other people will argue that, oh, well, it's half that size. Well, it didn't become half the size by going that far. But, okay, I'll give it to you. So let's just be safe and make it 24 times farther. And the reason I say 24 is because the sun, they tell us, is 8 light minutes away the, the sun the light takes eight minutes to get to earth that's what they tell us so 24 times would be three light hours so at three light hours it's scientifically provable that the angular size of the sun would be amplitudes too small for our eye to see you can only see a certain angular size, which is 0 0.02 degrees of an arc. So if I held a penny right in front of you, you can see it. But if I brought it, I think, 150 yards away, you can't see it. Okay. So 24 times farther away, the sun is magnitudes too small to see. Well, now let's think of a star that we can all see. We all can see Polaris. We can all find Polaris. It's an average star in our northern sky. They tell us Polaris is about 46 times bigger than our sun. So what's an equivalent distance to the three light hours? Well, let's make it 48 times three light hours is six light days. So Polaris at six light days, let's round it up to a week just to give the globe a little advantage. At a light week away, Polaris at the size that they tell us would be scientifically impossible to see, but we can see it. They tell us it's 433 light years away. Let that sink in 433 light years away when scientifically I just proved that you couldn't see it. And there's another problem. That's just angular size. We're talking about now we have to talk about, um, luminosity, the, the, the luminosity. So the inverse square law of light, what, what's that? Don't scare me with math. It's very easy. Every time you double the distance to a light, it's one quarter of the brightness or every time you half the distance to something, it's four times brighter. So, Think of it like a balloon. If I have a regular you know, party balloon and it's just I haven't blown it up yet, think how thick that rubber is. Um, let's say that's the light. Now, if I blew it up to its size about a foot wide, now that rubber is a lot thinner. What if I blew it up to four feet wide? How thin is that rubber? Now, what if I blew it up to a mile wide? Would you even be able to detect the rubber, right? Or 10 miles or 100 miles. So as light expands out, it has to fill all of that area. So it gets thinner and thinner. It's just like sound. When you yell at somebody a half a mile away, they can't hear you. But if you had a piece of PVC pipe and you talked into it, 
they'd hear you right on the other end because it's channeled, it's focused, like a like a la- like um not like a laser because lasers spread out too, as we found out, but like a fiber optics that will channel light on and keep it together. But stars don't work that way; they spread out. So the brightness. Coming back uh, to our little area here, the brightness for the moon to be the brightness that we see it at a at a um, I think it was a hundred miles away, it would have to be like sixty times brighter than we see the sun. Like when the astronauts were a hundred miles from the moon, they took that picture of the moon. For it to be the brightness that we see it here using the inverse square law, it would have to be like sixty times brighter than we see the sun. Jaron, you want to add on? No, you're doing great. I mean, it's, there's so many things that you can get into with that, especially the way that they figure out these distances. Because, again, these are the things that going to school, listening to science programming, I thought were pretty established facts and that they really couldn't be argued against. And so I you know, had to do some digging into where do we get these distances from. Of course, the distances come from parallax, which makes sense. You know, This is what they always do, right? They teach us how parallax works in the real world. So I can look, you know, I don't know the length of my street, let's say across the street, even though I can just cross it and measure it. But let's say I don't know that length and I want to figure it out, but I know there's an item off in the distance. I can take a baseline, so say the sidewalk in front of my house that I know the distance of. I can stand at each end and I can get the angle to that item across the street. And then once you know the baseline distance, so let's say it's 20 feet or whatever, and you know two of the angles involved in that triangle, you can then get the distance of the sides. Great. And the way that we know that works is that you can go out and measure it and see for yourself. When it comes to the stars, the way that they get our baseline, first of all, they need that baseline triangle, is they say, we're going to take the measurement here and then six months later. Because you figure in their model, the Earth has traveled all the way to the other side of the sun. And therefore, now you have a straight line that would be 186 million miles. And that's your baseline. So now we just need to figure out the angle to whatever star they're looking for the distance to, right? And they use the background stars to figure out what that angle is. To assume, because the way parallax works, okay, it's just a triangle, and one side's probably 30 degrees, and the other side's probably 45 degrees, and we can... No, 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 no. When you're talking about the stars in the sky, all their angles are 89.999-something. That's ridiculous. Think about a triangle that you have a baseline, so your bottom line, say that's uh, 186 million miles, and then the two lines going up that are going to make the triangle, they are 89.999 degrees. So they are essentially just a straight line. Now, again, if you draw that line out far enough, way, way, way into the ma- imagination, uh, eventually those points will meet at that star. But once I learned that and I realized, wait a second, these guys, how would they be able to figure out the difference between 8.9995 and 8.9997? And, and it's just horseshit, really, is what it is. And we've all been convinced that they do this, and and yet nobody I've ever talked to has ever seen it done, has ever talked to somebody who's done it. It's just one of those things, folklore, that we all believe in. Not only folklore, but it's ego. When you have somebody with yeah. a triple PhD and you even question this, they're going to find something to, they're going to they're gonna bring out this equation from their arrears so that they could intimidate you because you won't be able to solve that on, at the moment, but immediately they just uh, shun you with, with that, with, with science, blinding you with science. When they say science, that's their science, science and physics. They love saying the word physics and science, and they love calling 
flat earth researcher science deniers when we love science. We love the scientific method and we use the scientific method. You know, the, the, the heliocentric globe floating through an infinite space vacuum is scientifically impossible. How do you have, you know, they tell us these giant nebulas are clouds of dust and gases in a vacuum that are collapsing upon each other and creating stars. That makes absolutely no sense. I mean, the, the Big Bang, nothing exploded, became everything, and then the rocks turned into planets and the gases co- com, you know, compressed and attracted each other to create gigantic burning balls or nuclear furnace balls, and they left a vacuum in between. That's impossible. High pressure next to low pressure without a physical container is impossible in a lab in nature. Nowhere, anywhere, any altitude, any location can you have high pressure next to low pressure or no pressure space and not have it equalize. If you have, you know, if you open up a soda can, what happens? Not that you should be drinking soda. You pop the can, psst. The air equalizes immediately. If you had a, um, let's say, a second uh, um, a room above the room that you're in right now, and it was a vacuum chamber, there was no air, and there was a uh, valve coming in through the ceiling. If you open that valve, what's going to happen? Well, it's going to equalize instantly. It's going to pull the air up and away from the Earth. No, Dave, the gravity will hold that air down in the bottom floor. Okay, baller Jaron. <laughs> so, you know, that, and, that, and that is the only excuse they have. They say, well, you know, the higher you go, the air gets thinner and thinner and thinner until there's no more air. Well, that would, that's, that the air does get thinner, but just in a container where you have, you know, gas in a container, um, it's thicker on the bottom and it gets thinner towards the top. But you need a container for air pressure. Like imagine the air pressure in the tire of your car. That's pressure. And then the outside of your tire, um, our atmosphere, let's call that space. So inside the tire is our normal atmosphere, and outside the tire is space. Poke a hole in that tire, what's going to happen? Doesn't matter if you poke it on the side, the top, the bottom, doesn't matter. You broke the air. The, I did? Yes, yeah, back. How far? Mel? No, no, no. Keep going. Oh, oh I, I will, I will repeat. Um, I'll go back a little bit. I'm not sure what what got cut off, but air pressure needs a container, and in a con- you know, it needs it needs a container to have pressure. It needs something to push off of. In a in a gas container, you have more heavier gas at the bottom and lighter gas at the top. It still needs a container. You take the top off the container, and all the gas is going to disperse and equalize. So, you know, on the globe model, we're not in a container. Now, do flat earthers think that space is a vacuum? I don't. But we don't know, again, what's above. I believe there is some sort of container that we're in. I believe space is water. Can I prove it? No. But there's lots of evidence for it. So, you know, are we trapped in a snow globe? I don't think so. I think there is far more here. Um, I think there's more advanced worlds. And, you know, I mentioned those, uh, the, the guests that you had on, um, you know, that talk about these extraterrestrial encounters. I invite you to have a conversation online or offline with Jaron and I and let us show you what we see. And then you can choose to wrap that around um, the information you have. Because, Mel, 
this world is falling in tyranny right now and everybody wants our freedom back and everybody wants disclosure. Disclosure is not coming from outer heliocentric space. Disclosure is coming when people realize where we are and what's beyond the shoreline of our world. Um, let Just for, for those of your new listeners that weren't around a couple of years ago when we were talking about this and are scratching their head and thinking of unsubscribing, um, hang in there, okay? Hang in there because we all had the same journey uh, that, that you had. When we heard Flat Earth, we ridiculed it. We, we, I, we were the most stubborn, but then luckily somebody made us look. So again, when you Google Flat Earth, you don't get any real information. That should be your number one clue right there. Hold, hold, get, hold it, hold it. Get, let's, let's dissect what you just said because I was thinking of okay. that very same thing that you just said. Before we started, I started looking into Google, into YouTube, and I remember when I started with all of this in 2016, this is when I became exposed and I was just watching every video and reading every article. And there was a prevalence everywhere of this. Apparently, the powers that want to be didn't care too much about that because they thought this is going to be uh, a phase. It's going to fade away as many others go. But um, what they did now, if you look, if you try to even find something, it's everything against it. Everything ridicules. I mean, look at every single Google search Every YouTube video that comes up is all ridiculing the subject. All the videos now, that we did uh, with you, with uh, Eric Dubay, and the rest of them are all gone from searches. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's the number one most shadow banned thing. Flat Earth was growing, and the search results were shooting through the roof uh, to the point where it was on YouTube becoming the number one searched term to the point we had during um, – I believe it was Trump uh, that the the we once we passed Trump overnight they shot they they changed the algorithm and guess what they removed the scoreboard it used to be you search YouTube and it tells you how many hits there are now it doesn't even tell you they removed the scoreboard because we took the number one position ahead of all of the pop stars ahead of Trump ahead of everything. Right. And, you know, and the Globers will say flat earth is dying. Look at the look at the search results. You know, it's gone through the floor. Yeah, because the algorithm. So, you know, what's amazing is that lots of people say, you know, I wasn't I, I've heard some stuff. I just really wasn't looking to it. But then when I saw that they're hiding flat earth, you know, they'll let you find Bigfoot. They'll let you find aliens. They'll let you find all sorts of stuff. But you can't find flat earth. You won't find anything. I mean, if you search I mean, there's so much garbage out there. It's a cesspool and it's almost impossible to find. That's why I created the app. We'll talk about that later, um, which which gets you um, beyond that. So where was I going? I was talking about um, the search results and how we were passing Trump. Yeah, we, well, we pat we we passed we passed Trump, and I was making another point. No, I had a good point. Jaron, jump in; it'll come back to me. Sure. No, it's just uh, at this point getting pretty disgusting what happens on, on YouTube. And we've seen it happen before. And their most recent one is getting rid of the dislikes, which were clearly exactly. because some, the Biden. some things were coming out. Yeah, Biden's White House account is probably the worst you've ever seen with you know the likes of 200 likes and you know 3,000 dislikes. And they couldn't have that stay up. The same thing with Bill Nye, the science guy. He did that transgender kind of dance routine on his show, um, I forgot what his show was called, Saving the World or something, Bill Nye Saves the World. And that was the worst I'd ever seen as far as the likes, dislikes. And because that's what they're pushing, of course, they can't allow people to see that people don't like it. Because they do a good job on the news of making it seem like anything that they're pushing is what people want and what people 
like. And by doing that, they create the world that they want to live in, right? People begin to like that, and that's what people want. That's what's crazy to me is people want to be enslaved, I guess, by these overlords. But with YouTube and the search results, you can even search my videos by the exact title. So, I mean, word for word, the title that I make it, and it won't come up. So the only people who see my videos are the people who know who I am, who can go to YouTube and can search my name and then find my channel. And from there, they can still find my videos. But I always get asked, Jaren, if you're telling the truth, why wouldn't they just get rid of you? Why haven't they offed you? And it's because they really do need, uh, that would look worse for them, right? They do need that kind of person that they can call crazy and they can say, yeah, that's a bunch of loony people over there. And uh, they just know better than to let us be found in the recommended area or in you know the areas that they push because they can find whatever video they want some kid eating tricks out of a bathtub or something and they push that to people's recommended and that's why those videos you see get 31 million views of course because they're being pushed they want they want a perception that free speech is alive and well they want people mm-hmm. to think that yes look we're not a tyranny we're just going to shadow ban them the perception is for example my channel in the past two years hasn't grown at all. It stayed almost every time it gets to 100,000, every single day we get hundreds of people. And then the next morning, we're back to where we were the day before, every single day. So how is a channel with almost 100,000, the videos used to be 50, 100,000 views. Now they're 2,000, 4,000 at tops because it gives a perception that nobody watches it. So it might not be important. This is, you know, it's very important for us now, every, when I say us, everybody that's listening that sees the truth to spread the truth. You know, I, I used to, um, you know, there was people that were doing um, activism, you know, on the streets and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's good, but it's way better online. Well, now we need to take to the streets, but we can use these online um you know, tools, we can use YouTube and share the videos and and bring them to other groups. And, you know, I've been doing tons of interviews on non-flat earth channels that want to have the discussion. And um, tons of, tons of people are waking up. People are, the population of flat earthers is exploding. And there's very little, I would say there's no attrition um, because no, once you see the globe, once you see through the globe lie, you can never go back. It's literally, you know, <laughs> the red pill, blue pill with the Morpheus. Once you take, once you take the red pill, it's over. There's no going back into the heliocentric matrix. So, um, yeah, but, I mean, you can tell them uh, about us doing the Omegle thing. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, we went we went on Omegle, which is uh, just a random chat site where people just go on and uh, meet random people. Yeah. And. We talk, we, we, we kind of, I said, Hey, do you want to come on our YouTube channel? And we're doing a live stream and we're offering prizes and we asked them questions about flat earth and stuff. And we were thinking that we we're going to be dragging people in like, okay, yeah. Oh my God, you guys are stupid. But how many, what percentage of the people like, oh yeah, the earth is flat. I mean, I it was more, half. It was, yeah, it was, it was at least half the people. They're like, yeah, flat earth right on. So the number of closet flat earthers out there that aren't speaking up, we think it's a lot more than they're even telling us. I think it's so, the majority. The majority of the people are, are closeted flat earthers. Yeah. And we're all flat earthers for sure. Right. <laughs> and we're indoctrinated into a different belief. All of our common senses, you know, our God-given common sense tells us the earth is flat and stationary. And then when you listen to endless nonsense and fantasy, um, it all, you know, it that's what people follow because a guy with a bow tie and a white lab coat said it. Therefore, it must be true. 
So right. I, I remember where I was going before. I wanted to just um, for the new for people new to flat Earth. When you Google flat Earth, you get you know and say images of flat Earth, you get a turnip floating in space. That you know, or you got a flat Earth with a you know in the solar system of heliocentric balls. Um, no flat Earther thinks that. That's just what the um, uh, a non-informed uh, person that's Googling flat Earth is going to get because it's going to make you laugh at it. It's going to make you walk away, and it's going to make you never look again. So the flat Earth is very very simple. I say think of a lake in Kansas. Make that lake 25 miles around. That's a pretty good sized lake. I live on Long Island Sound. It's only five miles across, and it's pretty darn big. So um, you got a lake in Kansas, and it's a big circular lake. You got islands in there, and at the center of the lake is a tall mountain. You know, not you know, not a mountain, but a, a tall hill. Well, and it's a magnet. A, a magnet. It's a magnetic hill, a magnetic mountain. So if you're on a boat, Mel, and you had a compass. That compass needle is going to point towards that center of the lake. And so if you tried to go east or west, do you know what's going to happen? Well, no. you're, going to, you're going to be continuing. It, it's it, all the, the around the circle that will be south. You're going to have, well, east and west are circles equidistant from the center point because your needle is going to point towards the center. I th- a lot of people can't f- picture this. I say go out to your yard. And or, you know, uh, where, where there's a tree, a telephone pole or whatever, and pretend that's your North Pole and take your right arm, point it towards that North Pole. So you're pointing it 90 degrees off straight off your side and then try to walk forward, which would be west. But you always have to point at that pole and don't move your arm. Well, now you have to walk in a circle. You have to walk in a circle equidistant from that pole. That's west, east, equidistant in the other direction. South now, this is hard for people to wrap their minds around. South is every direction away from the center. So if I put my, put my back to the center. Let's say we all, all three of us, we got to the center and we all stood around it with our backs against it, facing in different directions. And we all walked away. We're all walking south, different souths. South is away from the center. Okay. So what happens when we keep going south and we get to the edge of the lake? Do we fall off the lake? Remember, we're in case. Nope, we get to the land. We step up on that land. Let's call that land Antarctica. Antarctica is Kansas. It's the land that surrounds our world pond. It is the container of our pond. Large bodies of water at rest need a container. So now let's say we keep on walking away from the pond. We're a mile away from the pond. We can't even see the pond anymore. 50 miles away. Well, there's no way we're going to see the pond. 100 miles away. uh Uh-oh, another pond. Another pond. Get in my boat, get in a boat right there, hop on that pond. Oh, look, there's another magnetic mountain in the middle, right? So now we're in another world. Maybe that's Lumeria. Maybe that's Nibiru. Maybe that's uh, where the Anunnaki come from. Maybe, you know, maybe that's... Maybe that's Mars. Mars. Maybe that's... There's all of these other worlds here. Now, if somebody came from that land, cross Kansas jumped into our lake and sailed over to our island, we'd call them an extraterrestrial from the extra terra in the outer space outside of our world. Physically possible. Can we agree, if I had to pinpoint, that the reason why they are shunning anybody who discusses this, and anybody who wants to really put the effort, and I know a few wealthy people that are willing to put the money into it, but they're scared that their businesses might be shut down or, or, you know, or worse. But imagine if there's a group of people who decided we want to go not only to beyond the walls, 
We want to go see the true magnetic north. Because all these pictures that we see of somebody standing, look, I'm a magnetic north and a piece of ice. I don't buy that. I think right. there might be a mountain somewhere in the middle where airplanes are not allowed to, to navigate above it. But what do you think could be in that alleged Mount Meru? Go ahead, Darren. Yeah, I don't know. I've never been there. So it's it's certainly interesting that we're not shown that or that there's not some sort of expedition that's been filmed. Of course, the only person I think that claims to have done it is that Sir Ranulf Fiennes, who's a cousin of the Queen, and he's also stood in court and admitted to faking various parts of his expeditions to for the TV. So, you know, these are the guys that were given as our heroes. He's actually considered the world's greatest explorer. He just happens to fake um, accidents and incidents on his films. So, yeah, I don't know what's in the north. I don't know what's in the south. But I do think that the helium ships that we've talked about before, which would be quite easy for somebody just to get up there and say, I'm just going to go south and see what happens. Just go south and uh, and not really be worried about it. They've set up the world so that by making these fossil fuels, how people can get from here to there, well, then nobody feels safe because their life would be on the line if they were to get into a plane, fill it with gas, and just say, I'm just going to fly south. Well, the problem becomes – What happens when that plane runs out of gas? Same thing is true with boats, right? If you could just go down south and just sail around, see what you could find, see if there's any fissures or cracks that open in the Antarctic ice shelf and then go through that, which is what we've read in many books, um, then people would do that. The problem is, is that, number one, the Antarctic Treaty doesn't allow any extra fuel on any ship below the 60th parallel. So basically, you can't go down there and pleasure cruise. You're going to run out of gas. Same thing about trying to circumnavigate down somewhere near Antarctica, which we think would take you 50 or 60,000 miles. Of course, according to the globe, it's about 11,000, but they don't let you take any fuel down there. So with no stored fuel, no boat has the possible um, you know, tank to allow them to go very far at all. You basically have enough gas to get from the southern tip of South America to the little outlet there where they let you get out and take a picture with a penguin or yeah. a boat could probably go from Australia to the tip of um, uh, Antarctica or maybe even South Africa to the tip. But you certainly cannot do any more than that. What about the specificity that they give? I love the specificity, especially with the United Nations. I'm looking at how many satellites are above us. And the exact number as of 2022 is 8,000. 261. It says, according to the index of objects launched into outer space, maintained by the United Nations Office of for Outer Space Affairs, UNUSA, there were 8,261 individual satellites orbiting the Earth at the end of January, an increase of 11.84% compared to April of 2021. That said, I've known many people who have telescopes and they spend hours looking at the moon, looking at the moon and filming it. And I've asked every one of them, Have you seen any object in front of it? Because they're trying to find craters and all that. You would think if we have 8,261 individual satellites flying above us at any given time, that you would see something in front of your camera. Never. Have you seen any? There was one um, that that was seen, and it looks like a balloon hanging, you know, like a satellite hanging from a balloon, which we know that there's tens of thousands of these things up there that NASA launches yeah, for photographing America. isn't that what google does with a google earth seems like it they never tell yeah. us so let's talk about satellites for a minute in the heliocentric model 
You have to remember that the Earth is spinning at a thousand miles per hour at the equator, which is unfathomable. It's faster than the speed of sound. It's orbiting the sun at a funny number of 66,600 miles per hour, another unfathomable speed in an elliptical speeding up and slowing down orbit as we whip around the sun and then come back, slow down and whip around the sun again. So we're speeding up and slowing down, spinning and twirling. And to make it worse, the sun is flying through the solar system, uh, through the galaxy at close to a half a million miles per hour. So we're corkscrewing through the galaxy, traveling four and a half billion miles a year, speeding up and slowing down elliptical orbits, you know, the elliptical around the sun, everything. And somehow everything stays in perfect sync. Then we launch a satellite up there. Let's uh, let's say they have a geostationary satellite. That's a satellite that stays above the same plot of land. So we launch one above Connecticut. It stays above Connecticut, okay? Well, you have to remember, it has to mimic the spinning of the Earth, the corkscrewing, the whirling, the twirling, all these different directions, speeding up and slowing down. It's in space. How does it mimic those changing speeds? And the answer is, it can't, it doesn't, it's impossible. Space is impossible. And satellites falling around the Earth, like the International Space Station falling around the Earth, is impossible. The International Space Station is supposed to, it's, it's not in zero gravity. They say it's in like 85% gravity, but it's free falling at the same rate as the Earth curvature, right? How is it mirroring all of those motions of the Earth? And the answer is, there is no answer. Jaron, do you have an answer? Baller Jaron? I certainly do not. <laughs> I guess the answer is whatever the Chinese astronauts did where they put the water in the glass and it stayed in the glass. <laughs> I saw that video the other day where the water... <laughs> It's on top of a table, and the water's right there. And it, what exactly was happening? They were doing an experiment showing, you know, how they can flip things around and, and what happens if they put a ping pong ball in water in space and the ping pong ball actually sinks. It can be, you can push it underwater and it'll stay there. But while they were setting it up, the glass of water is sitting on the counter, an open glass of water yeah. on the counter in space. <laughs> and and uh I actually have a video coming out um, in, a, in a couple of days on my on my YouTube channel, DITRH. Um, very, very funny about that incident, exposing it, and then listening to what I call the NASA apologist explain how why the water stayed in the glass. It's quite funny. By the way, we have to take a break, but when we come back, I want to discuss CERN. You've heard about what they're trying to do. I believe it was July 4th or July the 5th, which is when we're recording this interview. I don't know if you have looked into what exactly they're trying to accomplish. I've always had a problem with CERN. It was built during the time when the worldwide economy was not doing well. We're not doing that well right now. And they're spending billions of dollars in order to find the God particle. That to me sounds like a bunch of bunk. But again, I'm not a scientist. I am not here to the, repeat the dogma we're being taught in schools these days. But how can people get in touch with your work, both of you? So I'll start. Um, all of my links are at flatearthdave.com. Flatearthdave.com. I got my YouTube channel there. You got my interviews, my older interviews. We got my app, which is the Flat Earth Sun, Moon, and Zodiac Clock app. That's the way to bypass YouTube uh, Google censorship. Uh, and I, I have an app challenge out there. Every day there's a new featured video. And for those, those of you that think that the Flat Earth is crazy. 
Watch the featured video every day for two weeks. And at the end of that two weeks, if you still think the earth is a globe, send me a proof and I'll give you three Bitcoins worth less than they were a couple months ago, but still worth plenty. <laughs> so, so, um, but here's the thing. You have to look and you have to think to be able to see what we're talking about because of the lifelong indoctrination. So all of that is at flatearthdave.com. And just a shout out to anybody that has a show, a podcast, big, small. I don't care if you're interested in having this conversation, especially any of the UFO people out there, especially many of the guests that you've had on. Awesome guests. Chris Bledsoe, love to talk to you. Any of your guests. If you want to talk about it, because your story makes perfect sense, scientific sense here on a flat earth plane. Jaron? Yeah, you can find me easily at jaronism.com. I'm kind of working on my website right now, so the better place, I guess, would be linktree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash jaronism. All the links are there. You can find me on Rockfin, where the uncensored stuff goes, on YouTube, where the kid glove stuff goes, and uh, elsewhere. So look forward to having you be at York. And what, one more thing, on my app, I have a thing called the Friend Finder. If you are awake and aware to the Flat Earth um, and you're looking for like-minded people, there's an application in the app where you can see the other people around you and you can message them and set up meetups and conversations. And uh, people are using it for basically as a dating app, as a friendship app, as a meetup app. So it's it's really um, helping connect people and, and Mel, you know what? That's what they don't want. They want us separated. They divide us by countries, by religions, by sexes, by sports teams. They divide, 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 divide. They don't want us coming together because together we have we we have the force, if you will, for if you want to talk in Star Wars terms, the force. We if we all connect together, that energy is what they're afraid of. So that that's uh, that's they've done a good job. I'm not I'm not going to be joining any. LA Dodger fans. So they've done a good job <laughs> separating us. By the way, this is exactly what they've done for the last two years. But what you said about the guests I've had on the show with you know, great stories, and I'm still very curious about all of them. But just imagine what we have in Brazil, for example. There are unexplored territories in the Amazon jungle. There are tribes there who haven't seen a, a anybody else but their tribe in their entire lifetime. And once in a while, they see a plane fly by. Imagine if that were us here on Earth and we had the ability to go take our planes somewhere else just to take a look at what's going on there. Could it be that all these objects that we're seeing now from flying saucers to UFOs to unexplained aerial phenomena, unidentified aerial phenomena, what if those are the other ponds coming to visit us and there's an agreement uh, not to even stop by because that's what the Antarctic Treaty says. But all of this in my talk with the General Accounting Office gentleman. I'll tell you what I discussed with him. He spent four years in NASA. All when we come back in part two in the members section. This is Bill Hostelrick. My special guests today are David Weiss and Jaron Campanella. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest, and all of our material, proceed to the member section, or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting, Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store 
for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know.